So if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter three. And um, I shared, I think last month it was that I shared, you know, why I think it's really important why we open God's word and, and I wasn't gonna have things on slides sometimes. But then I realized also the counter to that is I didn't offer you a Bible if you don't have one. So that kind of seems counterproductive. And so I just put that up on the screen. If you don't have something, so you're not that left out person in the corner going, man, I totally feel guilty. I didn't bring my Bible. Don't worry. It's not an idea to make you feel guilty. Uh, But just want to encourage you to open your Bible, get away from the electronic devices, and for us to just really focus on God's word. And uh, I've been gone for the last couple weeks. I was here last week, but two weeks before I was gone, uh, Sean and I had an opportunity to visit another CTK and then be on vacation. And God's really just been working on my heart and on the topic of truly following him. And so I've just really been resting on the story of Nicodemus because we only hear about Nicodemus about three times in the gospels. And so I just wanna highlight this portion and talk about what it looks like to be a follower. And this morning, my message is titled, Not a Fan. Now, how many Seahawks fans are there this morning? Don't worry, I'm not gonna offend you. I'm, I'm gonna pick on you a little bit. I just want you to be aware of that. Um, because, yeah, because this, this whole 12th man thing intrigues me. It really does. It doesn't irritate me. I don't, I don't think you're weird or dumb, but it intrigues me because growing up, I remember hearing about the Seahawks, but it wasn't really, you know, it was like, it was just kind of that, that team you associated with because they're from around here, but they were always the losing team more, it felt like, right? And, and, and nowadays you hear more about the people that all of a sudden are Seahawks fans, right? So you could drive down the street and for every hundred houses, there's a Seahawks fan, right? But nowadays, Every home has a flag. Uh, Some homes literally have painted their houses the Seahawks colors. Have you seen that around the valley? There's a couple homes around here. Uh, One dude on, I think, 20 is selling his car, and his car has uh, all the Seahawks stuff on it, right? Man, that's, that's crazy. And so I'm really intrigued by this whole 12th man concept. And actually, I had two buddies. They were telling me about a time they were out to dinner. And these guys all decked up in in Seahawks jerseys and everything were watching the game. They were like rooting the Seahawks. And uh, one of my buddies leaned over to the other and said, I bet you that they don't know anything past like 2005. Like 2005 and older, they don't know anything about the Seahawks. They don't know anything about uh, the team. And he's like, oh, I'll take that bet. And so they bet and, and my buddy leans over to this group of guys and asks them, hey, uh, do you know who Peyton Manning is? You know, or, or these guys, do you know who, what's another Seahawks player? I know that was Broncos, but okay. So, so he starts asking these names. Do you, do you know these guys? And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he starts asking, uh, uh, do you know who this, this uh, quarterback is from the 90s on the Seahawks? And, and they're like, no, who's that guy? What's that name? And I know some of you are like, oh, I could tell you. I could tell you, but I know, but we don't have time for that. But, but my point is none of these guys knew. And so we have this, we have this really faithful following and, and a lot of fans that are like, man, I've been faithful since before you were born. I can tell you what, pastor. And, but there's others that are like, man, I just started following uh, you know, the Seahawks this last year. And, and actually I'm a Seahawks fan because Peyton fumbled in the Super Bowl. That's really why I'm a Seahawks fan, you know? Really because you know, the Broncos lost and I was gonna wear a Broncos jersey, but I don't wanna get murdered in church. So, but this whole fan thing is really interesting, right? This is what I find interesting, this whole fan thing. You know, you get painted up, you put your jersey on, 
and you show up in the stadiums, you're a part of this, but then we go home. We go home, right? And so being a fan is a really interesting concept. There's actually two things I really want to talk about this morning of two things I'm not a fan of. One is that I'm not a fan of Jesus, and I'm not a fan of marriage. I'm not a fan of Jesus, and I'm not a fan of marriage. And here, let me explain this to you. Why? Because fans don't get in the game. Fans don't get in the game. Fans are the ones, actually, if you and I were to define the term fan, we see that it is an enthusiastic admirer. Someone who who just has this idea of being involved, but they're not actually invested in the process. They're not actually invested in the game. And so you think about this when it came to those who were truly following Jesus and those who just kind of showed up for the free meal that fell from heaven. You know, those were the fans. These were the people that were close enough to Jesus to get the benefits, but not so close that it required sacrifice. These are the people that, were, that, that, that showed up when Jesus did something cool. They wanted, to, they wanted to experience the benefits, but they didn't want to get so close to Jesus that it would require sacrifice. And so we see that fans don't, don't get in the game. I mean, you're, you're never going to be at a Seahawks game and see Pete Carroll, the coach of the Seahawks. You're never going to say, see Pete just up from the stadiums, you know, hey, you, why don't you put on a jersey and be in the next half? Right? You're not going to see that happen. He's going to look to the players and go, who is dedicated to the process that I can now put in the game? Who's dedicated to the process? And we see this in the Gospels, in fact, that Jesus seemed not very interested with the fans, but he was looking for followers. He was looking for followers, and not just any follower, but followers who were completely committed followers. Not, not just the ones who would gauge their own interpretation of what it meant to follow, but completely committed followers. And so this morning, as we get into our text of, of John 3, I just want to take a moment and pause. In fact, I want to take a DTR moment. By a show of hands, do any of you know what that means? DTR? Okay. All the younger people do. This is fun. DTR stands for define the relationship. That's why most married people don't know what it means because we've already had to do that. (laughs) But I just want to take this moment to have a DTR moment with Jesus for you and I to really define the relationship. What does our relationship with Jesus look like? And I remember when when Shauna and I, my wife Shauna and I, had the DTR conversation. And this is like the day officially where it's like, wow, there's, there's actually a relationship here and uh, let's have a conversation about this. And I remember the one thing that was very important that is that if this wasn't in the pursuit of being completely committed in marriage, then this was not a relationship to pursue at all. That that was the deal breaker for both of us. And if you know my wife, you know she's pregnant. We've been, we've been doing pretty well and we had a good DTR conversation. So... But for this morning, as you just kind of think of that moment, maybe for you, you've had a DTR moment, you know, with a, a spouse, if you've had that, you know, when, when you were dating. I want us to take that, that moment here now and just have a, a, a DTR moment, a define the relationship moment with Jesus. Because when we see throughout scripture where Jesus invites people to follow, he's not just inviting people to be fans, to just kind of be 
around and just kind of identify with Christ, but to be completely committed followers. And so in one of the examples that we see in Luke chapter nine, verse 23, you don't have to turn there, you can stay in John three. But in this verse, there's, there's four things I wanna point out as Jesus gives this invitation, this example to follow. If you can see it on the screen. It says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And here's the thing that I, I tend to struggle with and I've really been processing this verse. The two words that I tend to overthink or overcomplicate or, or really struggle with when I'm thinking of the DTR moment with Jesus is anyone and daily. So that means when Jesus looked at the crowds, he says, listen, if any of you, not specific few, if any of you would desire to follow, you can follow right now. And in this process of following, it is daily. It's not just this moment piece, but day by day, the process of growing in relationship with Jesus. And so as we just kind of think for a moment, for you and for me, where we're, where we're at in our walk with Jesus, where are we at in the relationship? I wanna share with you a story of someone who was more a fan. He wasn't a follower, but more of a fan. And in John chapter three, we pick up this story where this guy shows up to have conversation with Jesus, but not in a public place, not out in the open, but he comes to him at night. And I think what's really important about this, this piece, because it mentions the fact that he meets with him at night, is that this is a guy that doesn't wanna be identified as a follower, Right? He wants the benefits of the relationship with Jesus, but doesn't want to be so close that it would require sacrifice. And so we pick up in the story about Nicodemus meeting with Jesus in chapter three, and we're going to read verse one through 10. And it'll be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible, but we're going to start in verse one. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So this is a leader. This is a Pharisee dude. Right? This is, this is a guy who knows his stuff. In verse two, it says, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? He's still trying to marvel at what Jesus is saying. And Jesus answers him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. And so Nicodemus is, is not, not a follower. He's, he's more of a fan and, and I think we kind of established this whole fan and, and follower piece, but really think for a moment about Nicodemus's position. 
Think about his job. That, that last verse that Jesus answers him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? So, so yet it seems that, that Nicodemus was this dude that, that was faithful to the process. And in fact, in meeting Jesus, he tells him, I, we believe, we believe that, that you're the coming Messiah. We get it. But, but yet he's not wanting to fully be a follower because he comes to him at night and asks more in a safe and quiet environment where there wouldn't be any risk. But, but the relationship begins to shift And we see that followers are more than fans. Followers are more than fans. And there's a a very clear definition that Nicodemus didn't in fact understand. Because Nicodemus had facts, but not faith. He had religion, but not relationship. And he had memorization down, but not any movement in his walk with Jesus. And so here's what I think is really interesting when we think about following Jesus, is that following Jesus often becomes something more, both in church and in our groups, can often become something more that we identify with than we respond to. Something more that we identify with than we respond to. And it feels like we've taken the teachings of Jesus and more kind of looked at them and go, how do I memorize them than how do I go live them out? Here's where I feel convicted. How do I memorize them? Then how do I go live them out? And so we think of this, this method, you know, we, we kind of do the follow the leader game, but the leader says, go this way. And, and then we go, okay, I'm supposed to go that way. And there's no movement. I mean, this would be like if your kids came to you and they said, um, and, and you, your kids came to you and you said, hey, I want you to clean your room. And they said, okay, got it. And they go away and they come back after about 10, 15 minutes and they go, I memorized what you said. You said, clean your room. I got it. And then you, furious, you say, go clean your room, right? And so they come back another 15 minutes again, and, uh, and they said, okay, I, I got it. I understand now. I learned how to say what you asked me to do in Greek. I learned, I learned, how, to, I learned how to say it in Greek. And you're just furious, and so then your kid goes back again and then they, then they come back and they say, okay, okay, mom, dad, I promise I've got it. I'm gonna get a group of my friends together and we're gonna meet each week and talk about what would it look like if I was to clean my room. <laughs> I would beat that child. I'm just telling you right now. There would be no more conversations. But here's what's funny. This is what we do with, with what Jesus has called us to. We more memorize it than, than look at it and go, how do I go live this out? And so for you and I to truly respond to what Jesus' call is to become more than fans, we have to actively go out. It can't be something that we're just memorizing. It has to be something that we put into action. And, and believe me when I tell you this is not something I'm saying. Here's what you need to apply. This is me sharing with you. This is what Jesus is convicting me of. For us together to look at and go, man, there are some areas where we just keep memorizing things and not putting them into action. And so to become followers that are more than fans, we have to see that we have to go from memorization to action. And then we see from Nicodemus is that followers go public. Followers go public. The next time we meet up with 
Nicodemus is in John chapter seven. And we just read in a couple of verses that there's an argument going on among the religious leaders. That in this argument that they're having, everyone wants to kill Jesus. They're not for him. They don't like him. And they want the madness to stop. And Nicodemus finally goes public. And in verse 50, it says this, Nicodemus, who had gone to him, being Jesus, before, and who was one of them, said to them, the religious leaders, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So if you don't know anything about Galilee, Galilee was not a place that you wanted to be. Galilee was not a place that was very popular and it was looked down upon. It was not a great place. And so as as Nicodemus goes public and he takes a stand, we see that the reaction from these guys is ugly, that their response is brutal. But the outcome was public devotion. That Nicodemus's response was public devotion. I mean, think for a moment how huge this is. Really try to put your, yourself in that place. I mean, this would be like if your coworkers hated Jesus. I mean, blatantly wearing shirts and bracelets and, and, and putting mom, monuments on their desks that tell you in every way that they hate Jesus. And you finally take a stand and say, I love him. I love him and I will follow him. That would be awkward, right? If you did that in your work environment, teens, if you did that in your schools, if we did that in our colleges, if we did that with our extended family, if we stood up and said, I will follow him. But here's what I think is really incredible as we think about being followers. Something that Francis Chan said, a a famous pastor and author, he said, something is wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers. Something is wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers. And so as we look at being followers who go public, here's what I think we need. We need more men and women taking a stand for their walk with God. I feel so convicted of this. We, that, that, that I need to be a man of God who would take a stand for my walk with God. That we would do that as a church not, and not making sense and going public. That we wouldn't make sense to anyone around us. But here's what I don't mean by this. I do not mean that when you leave church, you go out to the corner of, of the street and go, listen, I follow, and then walk away. Because that is a type of nonsense making that we're not looking for. But what I do mean is for you and I to go live what Jesus says in the communities that he's placed us in. For you and I to go put these instructions into action. To go live this out daily. And I had an opportunity to have some really cool conversations this week. One was with a coworker of Shauna's and one was with... Uh, a car salesman, which I never thought I'd have a conversation with a car salesman, no, no judging, but uh, about, about God. I just didn't think, you know, like this is the wheel and dealing section and then, you know, we get, you know, the conversation done, but my brother was buying a car and really got to talk with this guy about, about God. 
and come to find out he was a believer. And what continually came up in those conversations, both with the coworker and both with the car salesman, was the, was the conversation of maturing in Christ. And how often we feel a sense of failure that we're not meeting the criteria of a 10-point system of maturity. That we think that there's, oh man, I'm not doing good if, but I'm doing great if, right? So now we're talking about like sin management. And we have this idea that if I'm, if I'm just doing better, then God looks better upon me. And so we started talking about this. I really was talking about this so much with this, this salesman guy and, and talking about the process of growing in Christ. That it's, it's not so much a 10-point system, but really asking ourselves, Jesus, how would you have me respond to today? To the conversations I'm going to have, to my spouse, to my kids to my finances, to my coworkers. God, would you govern those things? Not, not me, but you. And may I grow in your likeness, being set apart for you. And if we can just do some theological homework for a second here, that really is the process of sanctification. And if you don't know what the word sanctification is, don't worry, I'm not gonna make you Google it. But sanctification is the process of being set apart is being set apart, holy. In 1 Peter, we see it says that, be, that you are holy because he is holy, that you would be that, that you would seek that out and that you would be active in the process of repentance and reconciliation and relationship. And so followers that go public really submit to that process of being set apart I mean, you can imagine how set apart Nicodemus was among all the other men. I mean, I would imagine some of them are physically removing themselves from him as though he, he smelled of, you know, not having a shower for a week, right? They're just separating from him. And yet that's what God calls of us. That if we are to be followers that go public, that we would be set apart. That we would be active in the process of being holy as he is holy. And Hebrews 6 says this in verse one. He says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God. I have a buddy who's a climber. And whenever we talk about the gospel, um, I think it's something we, we have a tendency, I know for me, have a tendency of, of thinking it's something I need to share, but not something I need to apply. I need to know it because I need to share it, not that I need to know it because I need to apply it. I think, I think there's a two-part system there. And we were talking about the gospel in the sense of the cross. And, and as a climber, he says, you know, when you're climbing up a mountain and you're not yet to the top, but you reach a summit, that's called a false summit. I don't really like the term false when we think of the gospel, but it works in the sense that when he says when you're climbing, you can look out and you, and you see the beauty. You see the incredible work that's been done and you feel like you're there, but there's, there's more to do. And there's a whole other part of the mountain that you haven't reached yet. And so when we look at this process of sanctification and followers that go public, I think what we tend to miss is we think that it's, it, it stops at the cross sometimes. And we forget that what the cross has done to reunite us with God. And so as my buddy calls it, the cross is the false summit of the gospel. 
Like I said, I don't like the word false in it, but it's the idea that it's not just the cross. The cross is what redeems us. It's what Jesus has done to bring us to God. But then as we leave from there, then we grow into maturity of the aftermath of what is ahead, of what we are reaching for through Christ because of the cross. And so as we look at being followers that go public, we see that it's not just about a statement. It's not just about what we say publicly, but it's about our action. The process of our life being looking less and less like you and I and more and more like Christ. And so as we look at that, we also see that followers count the cost. In the last time that we see Nicodemus, we see that Nicodemus in in John 19, this is right after Jesus had died and he's being removed from the cross. Nicodemus steps in having counted the cost and he goes public more than ever. And in verse 39, it says, Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, Like now it's not even Nicodemus, it's his title, that he's the dude that came to Jesus by night. Like they're just identifying him as this is the fan. Everybody, when we read this, this is the fan who who wasn't quite yet a follower. And so Nicodemus steps in and it says, he came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. And if you bring it to today's cultural terms, it'd be about 65 pounds in weight. And that's a lot. It costs a lot. It meant a lot. Could you imagine being in public? And this is the statement that Nicodemus is making. So it's, it's not just midnight conversations with Jesus anymore. And it's not just this, it, this awkward interaction in a meeting. But this was him publicly giving Jesus everything. Giving him his resources and his time. And so this was Nicodemus following after Jesus and saying, I'm gonna serve you with all I have. I'm gonna give you all I have because he counted the cost. And we don't know what happens after this with Nicodemus, but we know that this guy is following Jesus. We, we see from, this, from these examples that he's made a switch He's no longer just identifying with him, but he's, he's identified that he's more than a fan. He's gone public and he's counted the cost. And so as we come to a close this morning, I just want for a moment for us to just put ourselves in the shoes of, of some of these early followers that Jesus invites. To just think about some of the stories that where, like Nicodemus, where Jesus invites people to follow. And here's, here's where it actually gets, gets scary and gets tricky is because it, it faces, with some, faces us with some, some dangerous realities. That when Jesus really called people to follow, it meant that they had to give up everything. That full disclosure, there was no moment where Jesus came back and said, I forgot to tell you this. But that he says, I want you to give up everything to follow me. And we see that he, he wanted them to love him in a way that made all other relationships look like hate. He doesn't want us to hate anyone, but put him at a hierarchy above everyone else, above everything else, to a way where it makes everything else seem less. 
And in following Jesus, we see from this in the gospels is that it's possible at any time that he's gonna have us sell everything. Sell everything we have. But I don't know about you. I, sometimes I don't wanna believe that. I think, we're, I think sometimes I get afraid of, of what that could mean, not only in selling everything I have. I, I don't hang on to my stuff too much, but, but if I don't have it, then that changes things. And I think this is where we need to pause, just for a moment as we close. For us to just pause, and maybe, and maybe for you, you've had this DTR moment, this whole message that you, that you zoned out and you haven't heard a word I said, but you've just had this DTR moment with Jesus, and that's okay. If you're hearing from God, then, then you don't need to hear from me this morning. But for you and I to pause, because this is where we tend to start redefining what it means to be a follower. When we get into some of the scary facts, we start to change things a little. And then, and then we start to twist not only Jesus' words, but, but who Jesus was. And we kind of create this new middle-class American Jesus. And we have a tendency to just, to just look at it and go, well, maybe he won't mind my materialism if it's for him. He wouldn't ask me to sell everything. Maybe, maybe for someone else, but not for me. And, and we think of this American Jesus who's more fine with minimal, minimal devotion, as long as it's some sort of devotion, because after all, he, he loves me just as I am, right? And, and then we think of how he wants to give us prosperity, and, and, we, and we then look at how, man, well, I can live out the Christian life with an American dream spin. And I think this is where we tend to get into a little scary rewording, rethinking, and we tend to then create fans. And so as we, as we close this morning, I think it's really important for us to understand that, that Jesus is not looking for fans. He's not looking for enthusiastic admirers, but Jesus wants followers, and followers who understand that there is no forgiveness without repentance, there is no, there is no salvation without surrender, there is no life without death, and there is no belief without following. Because Jesus wants followers. And so as we, as we come to a close and the worship team comes up, I just want you to think on this question which is in your notes. And just for you to think even this week, as you think on the story of Nicodemus and what it truly means to follow, is to ask yourself, am I just an admirer of Jesus or am I truly a follower? Am I just an admirer who, who's gotten close enough to experience the benefits but not willing to get close enough to where he's gonna require some sacrifice? Let's pray.